Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Don't you think it's strange that there's a way of how you looked and how you act and how you think? Two shows in, and what I've seen has been just through the roof levels of energy, fervor, passion, love. Uh, quite unlike a show I've seen in a while. Oh, well, that's too bad. I feel like all shows should have, you know, some uh, energy, passion, and love. <laughs> I don't know, man. It's weird. Sometimes I go see live bands, and they're just just not feeling it you know and i just i'm like what why don't you just go work at a bank or something i don't know it's weird yeah if you're not enjoying it there does come that point when you think do we carry on and i mean for you guys 25 years in and clearly still just having the time of your life every single night what's the secret um i think you know some of it is just um being kind of completely honest with yourself early on in your careers and writing you know i feel like a lot of bands they like wrote songs early in their careers that were just kind of songs to go along with whatever songs were popular or whatever and we just always just kind of wrote what songs we really wanted to play loving songs that we wrote 20 years ago is a huge plus i know there's guys out there in bands that are playing songs that you know pay their bills but they don't necessarily love those songs because they wrote them you know in a different time of their life and or they just, I don't know, it's just different, you know? Like, I feel like we got lucky like that, where we actually 
enjoy our songs and that brings everything back around full circle every time you play Johnny Quest Thinks We're Sellouts for the 3,000th time you know like it's still you still feel that same energy with it you know so, I don't know I did a That's, chat with Vinny a few days ago about his top 10 Less Than Jake songs in the lead up to this tour and I was sort of chatting to him about how I think you guys are lucky in the sense that a few bands of your generation seem to have had maybe one or two at the most singles which really connected but you've got like a dozen that are you know like legitimate hits and i think <laughs> i think that well, thanks for saying do you know that. What i mean i think that makes it better as well it's just not like oh we know when we play this one song that everyone's waiting all night just to hear that and then the whole room's going to erupt that in that moment and that's maybe it yeah man i mean we just you know it was never like that for us we never had the one huge massive radio song that like you know catapulted us into this next level of you know limousines and shit like that never really happened we just kind of consistently put out records and try to write good songs and just kind of it's like one step in front of the other with shows and tours and projects and recordings and it's never it never took a giant leap like that you know yeah. so for you to say that we have 12 hit songs that's like a huge compliment because I, I you know if you look at other bands from our era so we don't have any hit songs you know we don't have like the one big yellow card song that's on the radio or the one big newfound glory song that's on the radio or you know the list goes on and on you know like we never really had that we just kind of had a whole bunch of solid songs that our fans really embraced it was never like oh we have a huge single i mean we had a couple of videos and that sort of thing but it was never the kind of thing that instantly took the band to some next level you know mm. we never had that like super fast growth or something so yeah it seems like i mean a large portion i would is the, would you agree with this a large portion of the uk fan base probably discovered the band through all my best friends and metalheads yeah, it could be that and like the gainesville rock city when we were on fat records and it was yeah. borders and boundaries and, and that like era of the band i feel like you know like latched on with the uk fans for sure that like made an impression and like you know, it's, it doesn't necessarily happen all over the world, you know right. what I mean? But over here, you can kind of feel it. Those songs, like, became important to people, you know? Do you change your set list a lot depending on where you play then? I mean, do you have certain songs which translate in a different way in, say, mainland Europe or, you no, know, not Japan? Really. Or... Not really. I mean, sometimes if there's a tour and... There's not, the like, tours... a wild card hit in Japan or anything like yeah, that? Yeah, no, I know what you're saying. <laughs> but no, it's pretty much about the same kind of stuff. Sometimes if, like... Depending on the tour, you know, depending on what kind of bands we're playing with, maybe we want to come across with more of the ska songs or yeah. more of the chill vibe if it's, like, some crazy heavier bands or or the other way around. I don't know. Maybe we'll play more punk rock songs if it's, like, a, a lot of ska. I don't know. Stuff like that. But yeah. we don't really, like, you know, regionalize what the set <laughs> is. Not science. It's like, yeah, it's just we're just out there, you know, playing our songs, having fun and stuff like that. I now, I noticed the other day you were in the production office, uh, what I assume was working on the new material which you've recently recorded. Yeah, man. I, uh, yeah, That's mad. Been, been How do you separate a... yourself from the live show in that headspace? Because I've been trying to do work <laughs> in the day on this tour myself, you know, just my writing stuff. And it's quite hard to kind of compartmentalize different areas of your brain in that way. And yeah, you're obviously I... going from the live show to like the producer's head. and Yeah, out here it's, you know, not so bad. Um I don't know, it's like sort of inherited the thing of like, I'm the guy in the band with the studio and, you know, record the band and, you know, that kind of stuff. And it's, I love it. Don't get me wrong. It's definitely a lot of work, but I love it. Out here, it's it's easy because turning on the show is just as soon as you see those, that crowd and you see those lights, then you're in show mode and it's done, you know. That's easy. But yeah, at home though, it's different though. When we're in the studio and, you know, we're working on a part whether it be a, a torn part maybe or a guitar part that then it's kind of a little harder to separate like okay 
I'm just the bass player or I'm the producer, you know? Right. And especially when I'm recording bass, then it's a really weird, I'm like, am I trying to be the bass player or am I going to critique everything? You know what I mean? So <clears throat> it's kind of something that you just sort of get used to and you find your way through. I've um, always thought about film directors who direct themselves in films. I'm like, how mad and difficult and well, weird must that be? It almost must be like an out-of-body thing, right? Where you're like... <laughs> I think I just have like sort of... Uh, a pretty solid idea of what the end result of a lesson Jake recording should like look and feel like, you know, and, uh, we've done this enough times and, uh, you know, we're not, we're not like drastically going to change our sound all of a sudden. Oh, this next record is so different. It's not really going to happen. You know, it's always yeah. going to be the way that Vinny plays the way that Chris, you know, it's always going to be the way that we sound to some degree. So, so I feel like really comfortable in that ballpark you know what I mean it's, it's I, I can definitely record a lesson Jake song the way it's supposed to be I feel and I think we all feel that way I think see the light was the, you know we'd done some other stuff and some random EPs and stuff like that but see the light was the first time that you know we were just on our own at my studio with no other outside influence and we really did kind of take our time and you know kind of push a little bit for getting the lyrics like in a theme and you know sort of having a, an album vibe it's hard to like get it to feel like an album as opposed to just 12 separate songs you know yeah I mean? yeah yeah so we there was some focus on that kind of feeling of an overall thing but that was really the first time that we like you know did our, a whole real thing on our own a whole real record and like i'm crazy proud of it like i think it showcases some of the best elements of the band you know when you play those new songs as well it's another thing which is unique to your band is often there's that case of okay we're going to play a new song now Everyone goes, ah, oh. with you guys, watch, is it good enough is on the new record? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, watching the reaction to that is just as, you know, crazy and, 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 and into it as, you know, Hello Rock View or Losing Streak or whatever. And, and that's, that's a rare position to be in, right? And a, yeah, and a mean, privileged one. We're lucky, man. The fans care, you know. The fans get into the new stuff. And, you know, we used to, like, joke around we would, when we were playing good enough early on. We would say, "Oh, this is a song that we wrote in 1998, and it was supposed to be on Rockview, <laughs> right, right. but you just know, to see, yeah, we didn't, we didn't do it. But you know, because it really is in the same yeah, sort of yeah. headspace. I mean, yeah. you know, it's, we definitely are a little bit cleaner players now, maybe or maybe sing a little, you know, less gruffy or stuff like that. But the, you know, the heart and soul of the thing really hasn't changed that much. I don't, I don't feel like." For me, as a fan of your band over many years, I feel like there's three things which are kind of the cornerstones of what you do and why people are drawn to Less Than Jake. And it's the energetic, fun live show. It's heartfelt lyrics that really connect on a level that goes beyond just, oh, that's a nice, clever line. Like, you know, they're actually stories that are probably personal, but in the way that you've written them, it's very broad and it can be a universal thing. And then the other thing is those kind of dual vocal harmonies, which, you know, is so characteristic of the sound. Yeah, man. I mean, it's definitely a vocal thing for us. You know, we, we know that we're not, you know, reinventing some crazy chords and you know, going in some jazz progression. And it's all about that melody and the, the flow of the words with that melody. And like, I get that not even as being like a member of Lesson Jake, but just being like a fan of music, you know, like sometimes it just works, man. Sometimes the lyric and the melody just works. You just can't. Yeah. It's undeniable, you know, and, it's, and we got we've gotten lucky on some stuff, but it, it takes work. You know? What about early on when you were, I guess, honing? that craft what's your memories back, of back in the day you know like early couple records Pezcore I think we were just trying to get as many words into everything as we could we were fans of like Op Ivy and like the really fast like those Boston songs where he's just saying a lot of words blah, 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 like just yeah. rapid fire stuff so it was always about kind of being a bit verbose and then that gives you a lot of chances for cool details in the lyrics and like really painting a picture though so 
the fans that would dig in there would you know get a get a really good idea of what the hell you were talking about I feel like so that was that was always fun but I think we started to kind of slow down a little bit on that and just try to you know nail down those like I was saying that marriage of melody and lyrics and you know finding those specific things like I never thought metalheads was going to be like the thing that works but there's something about the way that it flows that you know it it sucks you in a little bit you know so you never know after Pezcore, I guess you did like a few EPs or seven inches in the lead up to that one, right? And then you did the record. Uh, then the major labels came around. I mean, what's your memory of being wooed by by Capital and indeed maybe other ones that didn't end up signing you but were interested? Yeah, As a kid, I mean, was, uh, is that a crazy thing? To... It, it was a little bit, man. I mean, I was going to college and, you know, it, it, that was once that stuff came around, it really changed the direction of my life, you know? I mean, big I, time. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I was studious you know i did i did good in school i was going to be a chemical engineer you know i, I like school but you know getting an offer from capital records and then like my mom being a fan of like the beatles and the beatles were on capital records and like it just there was like too many things that just were kind of like okay I, you know this should happen this should be a part of the world but you know the guy that signed us craig aronson he was he was awesome man and he really crazy crazy believed in our band from a really early point you know like Pezcore tours he would show up and just love it just he just got it you know yeah. and uh, he I gotta say that guy he's not around anymore but that guy was he was awesome and he really stood up for our band twice okay he signed us at Capitol Records and then he got a job at Warner Brothers and signed us at Warner Brothers later on you know? right. so it's like with Anthem without that yeah, yeah without that guy you know I don't know you know how many people were really the reach wouldn't have been the same you know he really believed in us and it's like but you know as far as wooing goes you know it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't the, the big I mean, dinners or the yeah a little like, bit you know yeah, they was. put us in a pretty nice hotel where I think like Ozzy Osbourne was staying in the hotel and that sounded impressive <laughs> right. yeah yeah and uh, you know just getting flown out there and you know going to the getting to walk inside the Capitol Records building that you've seen on TV and heard about and Sinatra and all this yeah. stuff, all this history, you know, it's just, it's kind of crazy to think back and be like, well, I was at that point of our lives, we were kind of living it, you know, we were in that, in that highlight of like Hollywood and all that stuff. It's, it's weird, but uh, we were pretty, we were pretty easy to, you know, we were looking to, to get out there, you know, we wanted to just, you had ambition and hunger yeah. from early on. We were, yeah, we, we wanted the distribution is we early on, we were like, you know, if we keep this up, you know, we could do well, you know, we can get out there, we can tour, we can pay the bills, you know, we wanted, we wanted to be a successful band. And even after just a couple of years, you know, we were throwing around terms like, like, Hey man, I'm a lifer, you know, like I'm not in this just, you know, like I'll, I want to be, bad religion you know you know like i want to be around for a long time like that's the longevity of being in a band is really appealing well who were some of those bands early on that did it for you uh you know in terms of inspiration musically but also just you know their attitude and the way they went about doing business you mentioned bad religion operation yeah, that, that Ivy. Was, yeah like definitely some attitude there with those bands you know but like for me like i grew up on like Honestly, Iron Maiden was the biggest band for me growing up. You know, I was nine years old. I had my own copy of Number of the Beast. You know what I mean? Like, I, that band is a career band with a solid image and solid music, you know, and just something that you could listen to for your whole life kind of thing. And that, that band was, will always have been, like, a huge influence on me just musically and just the grand scheme of the whole thing. You know, yeah, The man. stage show and everything. Always. And then, like, Descendants is, like, where the kind of the music side and the energy side, that's the band for me that is, like, you know, you can 
get away with playing punk rock if the energy's there and the lyrics are there you know it'll have everything that an Iron Maiden song would have for me as far as like you know stuff to grab onto so for me it's weird man it's like it's very it's like kind of all over the place I mean I really did love like shit like Def Leppard and you know I guess if you're a child of the 80s I remember speaking to Jarrett from Bowling for Soup a lot about this and he's like you know Motley Crue were my band like you just couldn't escape them in the 80s and even though I'm a punk rock guy like hair metal was very much yeah it was part of me for me in high school I played guitar I was like learning all the Metallica solos and you know I was Ozzy Osbourne I was that kind of guy you know yeah totally like Randy Rose I'm like you know that guy's awesome you know so yeah I don't know bands that um, really did kind of step it up musically I was never really a fan of like when it got too hardcore or too punk rock or too screamy or too sloppy like my my musical because I grew up being a musician I grew up playing piano I played violin you know I did all these all this stuff growing up I sang in church and all that stuff so just the music side of it I had to have some melody and it had to be put together well you know even as a kid what about your early tours? What do you remember from those days? Heading out, I guess, outside of Gainesville for the first time and getting in a van and seeing the world, or at least America to begin with. Yeah, I mean, man, it's weird. It's weird times, man. I mean, at some point there, we borrowed, I think, $3,200 from my mom and we bought a, ni- a 79 Chevy van. You know, it was a weird thing to be like, okay, I'm going to drop out of school and we're going to do this thing. I don't know. But, uh, yeah. Um, I always enjoyed it, man. I always really did. I enjoyed the sights, you know, driving down the road and seeing, you know, the countryside swirl by. Like, I read something recently, and it's like, uh, we all live in the world together, you know. It's all it's all part of everyone's home. So, like, not leaving where you're from, it's like just, like, never leaving your room or something, you know. Yeah. Like, you need, you need to go out and see the world, people. Like, you know, you got to go see what's out there. You got to experience stuff. So early on, I had that travel bug of like, wow, you know, when I was a kid, my mom would take us places. You know, I got to go to Mexico when I was a kid. I got to go to uh, like New York City, you know, I was really lucky growing up. And my mom had a great job and like she would take me and my sister to do stuff. And I always wanted to do stuff. You know, I just wanted to go back to the Grand Canyon and um, see Colorado, you know, like mountains and shit like that. So, yeah. It's an amazing position, I think. To um, obviously, there's the hard work and the slogging aspect of touring, but I think it's an amazing position to be in to make a living out of, as you say, seeing the world, visiting new cities, places, cultures. Yeah, it's a one step at a time, man. Back then, it was like you know we we were getting paid nothing. We were getting paid just barely enough gas money, and you know lunch was like we used to do ham on hands. That that's you go into the what's the hat? Ham on hand is just you know lunch. <laughs> right. When you're in the van, it's it's you just go into the store and you buy a pack of ham, and everybody puts everybody puts their <laughs> hand out, and you just get a couple slices of ham on your hand. That's right. lunch, you know. Right. Like, that's we definitely lived, you know kind of rough there for a while you know sleeping on dirty floors and all that but that's just kind of part of uh, paying your dues i think you know really getting out there and playing people's backyards and making them lifelong fans because you know you slept on their floor when their parents were out of town or whatever and then that that one interaction leads into the next one leads into the next one and like i said it's just like small steps and before you know it you know you're on tour with the skins you know what i mean like it's it's a this is a solid tour like it's it's awesome yeah, every night the musicality on display <laughs> is just incredible. The amount of instruments on stage every yeah, night. It's, and it's insane, man. People coming to the shows. I think so many people are obviously here for you guys, but they're just getting this package and they're sort of there going, am I seeing this as a support act? Like, is this really happening? Just, yeah, you know, 
it's so, an yeah. impressive bill. <laughs> I'm, I'm proud of that. I'm proud to be you know around cool you, musical acts. Do you remember early on in Less Than Jake's career any bands that sort of extended the hand to you guys and took you out and introduced you to a whole new fan base? What were some of those key bands early yeah. on for Less Than Jake? But... Um, you know, one of the bands that like we were kind of into and they were kind of under the radar uh, was called Skank and Pickle. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they they had a crazy live energy. They're a crazy band, really crazy songwriting, but so much energy. And we were really into them. And you know, we got to do some shows with them early on, and that kind of gave us like some inspiration to, that you know maybe we could make it happen. You know, that was like a good sign. You know. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, the, a lot of that stuff was running around with bands like the Suicide Machines or Me Three Thirty, or there was a band called the Blue Meanies. And a lot of like those Chicago area bands, like that were kind of doing that stuff, Slapsticks and other bands. Those bands were kind of our contemporaries, and that was, it was cool to know there was other bands that were, kind of feeling a similar thing, you know, of like some sort of aggressive ska punk, you know. So that was cool. Um, How did all of that? Was there a, a kind of a regional divide um, between East Coast, say like the Boston's and you guys, and and then because obviously LA and California had a very strong community didn't it with real big fish goldfinger no doubt to begin with a lot of those bands yeah were you all friends early on yeah i didn't really feel too much of that early on you know i didn't we played uh scattered shows with real big fish back then and we got along with them but now we're like super good friends we toured with them tons and goldfinger we had done one or two shows you know like nothing extensive but you know i didn't really feel that you know i think everyone was in it for the right reasons you know and there was you know green day was popping off and stuff like that so all of us that were playing Sky were kind of already in the same club. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Because yeah, we weren't just playing three chord pop punk. You know? Yeah, I yeah. But, um, yeah, the Boston's, man. Like, the Boston's came and played in Gainesville, I think, in 94. It might have been 95. And we went to see them play, you know, together. It's like, it, we were just blown away. I mean, that was the band another band that was a huge kick in the ass of like that badass you know they're badass the energy is there the songs are there and people are having a good time at the shows you know that was my thing man you go to a show it's supposed to be an escape it's supposed to be a good time you know I, I still I don't understand you know bands that are more it's just not the way I am of like a more depressing sort of sound or message or that kind of thing I'm just not that type of person you know to go out to a show it's, it's supposed to be a release and you're just supposed to enjoy yourself and forget about your woes and shit like that so like the Boston's like perfect example of that you're just having a good time for every minute that they're on stage you know so yeah man millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom like Evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. How did the no effects connection come, come about? Because I wouldn't necessarily, if you look at maybe them and the bands around them, have put you with them. But obviously, you know, your relationship dates back a long time. And I guess when did Capital because of certain personnel changes did they drop you did you buy out what happened there and then obviously well, we, you went to yeah you know fat I, records really, for... I really, really don't know exactly you know where the history is of how we met those guys because i'd seen them play shows and you know and stuff like that before you know they had any idea who we were and stuff like that so it's kind of it's a little blurry for me with that but yeah we were recording borders and boundaries you know and it was meant to be a capital records release and they people got fired and things changed and they just kind of let us out of it. It wasn't, right. you know, it wasn't like ideal situation. And really it kind of was for yeah. us at the moment, you know, it didn't like cost a bunch of money. They just let us have our songs. Everything was kind of cool. And, um, fat records was, there was, it was just stuff happening in that time, you know, with bands and fat records. It was just a good time. It was easy, easy transition, but Mike's always been cool. He's always kind of like understood the band and we've always gotten along, you know, it's, it was just easy and it's been easy you know and then we went back to fat records again see the light yeah after you know after doing warner brothers and coming back and it's just uh well you, by the end of the warner sire double album what was it you did anthem and in with the outcrowd right yeah after that were you sort of just like we're done with the majors now we've done it twice it makes more sense to just go out and set up shop on our own and and be more in control of yeah i mean or was it again just a natural a little bit. I think, you know, with, with major labels, like, when you're talking about something like Warner Brothers, I mean, we had Anthem, for example, right? We had Green Day's producer, yeah. right? We recorded at the Morning View mansion where Incubus recorded their massive record, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, there was probably, even though the record did really well... You was know, that a kind of personal career highlight, great. recording it as well? Oh, yeah, man. I mean, that's, that's a whole story in itself, <laughs> just getting to experience that kind of level of a recording situation where, you know, two months to make a record, it's just crazy, you know. We had a personal chef, man. I mean, it was like we were wow. living it. That was like, you know, there was money to be spent, and we were spending it. Like, it was amazing. But I think that, you know, maybe they had even higher expectations for that record, like sales-wise and shit. And then um, and with the out crowd, you know, we went back to another producer that we had used before and he Benson, right? It, Benson, Benson yeah, yeah, and he had had some big hits and I think, you know, somewhere along the creation of that record, things got a little bit off the track for, you know, what the record is supposed what the Lesson Jake record is supposed to sound like. It sounded more like a soft Lesson Jake record to me. And I and I feel like that I don't think that derailed us off of the Warner Brothers thing, but it definitely like it didn't keep the anthem momentum kind of going. It kind yeah, of slowed yeah. things down a little bit. You know, hey, you do what you do. You know, you're in the moment. You, you try to do the best. I kind of... That was the hardest record for me to make because I was kind of battling 
a little bit with, you know, oh, this song should be faster, it should be more energetic, it should be more distorted, there should be more horn parts, and it was like, ah, oh, you know, you guys just want to make fucking punk records, and I'm like, yeah, kind of. And they <laughs> we were are trying, a punk band, yeah. And he was trying kind, kind of to soften some things, and there's some songs on there that are a little softer than most, and I may love them, but I don't know that that was the exact, you know, I wanted to keep making, like, Green Day records, you yeah, know, yeah. energetic, you know, but anyway... So I don't know, it didn't really derail us that much, but I feel like Warner Brothers also, then again, these things all go in cycles, man, and then they kind of morphed a little bit, and they were no longer really looking to sign stuff at that time that was going to be in this rock kind of direction. They were trying to push for more an R&B, you know, um, solo artist type shit that sells a lot of records, you know? Yeah. Because so, they had their time of bands like My Chemical Romance, and they were definitely one of the leading sort of champions and developers of, of big rock, rock acts, right? Absolutely, there For was. A while, had, I mean, Rob Cavallo had crazy records on yeah. there, right? you know. And it was. I mean, I wouldn't change anything. It was. It was all super cool, but uh, I feel like we were like just maybe slightly behind the eight ball on some of that stuff, where maybe one of those songs could have been, you know, a bigger deal or something. You know, no regrets. This is where we're at. But you know, looking back on it, you know, so then it was. It was kind of. It kind of made sense to like you know just take everything back under our own wing and get back and do things on our own and we did GNVFLA which was on our own record label you know like really literally nobody was involved making that record um, except for the producer you know we did that in Chicago made that that record sort of differently than we had made the other records too it was a little bit more of a live kind of you know just a bit more un, unfinessed I would say a little rougher you know yeah it's a crazy cycle man you learn a lot when you make a record <laughs> what'd you learn from I guess just touring and being in a, a working band for this amount of time, 25 years, what have you personally sort of, you know, learned from that unique experience to quantify, you know, <laughs> life wisdom in, you know, yeah. a few sentences. But I mean, there must be some obvious things that you've gone right. This has definitely taught me this. I've definitely yeah. learned this well, as a direct think, result from it. You know, one of those things would be that the fucking, that the world is a good place overall, wherever we go, all these travels, Japan, Australia, you know, you meet good fucking people, man. You know, and I, I kind of have faith in that, like, world community. Yeah. And I feel like that we have a very specific perspective, obviously, because we're, you know, we're going in to play music and people like music. So it's like there's there's a positive energy with whoever we go, the loaders, the promoters, the interviewers, whoever, everybody is, you know, it's a positive thing. So I'm really fortunate to experience the world that way. But that also puts my beliefs in the thing of like, well, yeah, well, you know, this could be like this for everyone, you know, if, if someone is into whatever else, it doesn't have to be music, but there's positivity everywhere. And I don't know, I've, I really like kind of get behind that weird world community perspective, you know. You go see a punk rock show in Houston, Texas, or in Birmingham, or in Tokyo, it's not really that different, you know. The, the, fan is, the fans are, are the same, you know, they wear shorts and t-shirts, and they sing along, and they jump around, and they have energy, and, they're, they, and they want to have a good time, you know, and they want to take pictures. It's... it's uh, people are the same everywhere man you know it's like the, these lines that are drawn and all, all this shit and i just don't i don't understand i don't i don't know how people can get through i mean i'm for i'm in my 40s right maybe you know you're a teenager you're 20 years old you're an idiot you don't know what you're talking about you're still you know you still think that you know racism makes sense or you still don't understand why this couple is two guys or something like I, maybe you're dumb you're young i get that but man after being around for a while, those lines just disappear. I just, I don't understand how, you know, 
traveling the world is a real way to understand that we're all the same and that shit doesn't matter. So as far as world, you know, philosophy, what I've learned, I'm like, that's really what I've learned is the world should be all good because we're all the same. If think if everyone traveled the way that and seen what I've seen, they would be like, yeah, just, you know, it's silly to be caught up on some of the stuff, man. It bums me out. Not to go too kind of conspiracy theory deep on, <laughs> on the back of that, but there's a few documentaries that have been released in recent years about how the 80s was a real turning point for the trajectory of human existence because before then it was a lot more in the hands of even banks maybe weren't necessarily evil before the 80s you know there was this idea of the little man could get the loan and it would be you know an affordable repayment scheme and things like this and and small business loans and then it did seem like in the 80s economics capitalism and politics both took a severe turn for the worse and it became about the few in control of of the many you know major corporations yeah man directing the political narrative and you can't do much about it no uh, but would you would you sort of be on that school of thought that the 80s was a turning point or would you feel like it's more just an acceleration of what's sort of always been in yeah i think it's just perpetual you know like it's it's sort of always sort of been flowing that way and and it's like uh the rules are set up in a way that you know people that make billions of dollars can take advantage of it and it's, it's sort of the way of the world you know I don't know. We ain't changing it, or maybe we are one little bit at a time, right? One small show at a time, and I—I I would like to think that, you know, but I—I I don't know. I don't know. I mean, my kid's not going to grow up being an asshole, but I can't say that for other people's kids. So who the fuck knows? You know. <laughs> what sort of a role has family played in your life? Oh, uh, it's—I mean, it's awesome. It's—I um, think at some point, you know, it's—it uh, was one of those like, well, I have my career right i have my hobbies the things that i like to do on the side you know what would they be what are a couple of those oh well uh i'm into all sorts of crap but <laughs> and then i was like well what else is there to do in this life you know for me that was that's kind of what led me to the thing of being like yeah i think you know being a dad would be cool because i think it's like one of those life experiences that um i'm not going to say everyone should experience but i think maybe we were maybe meant to experience that and like you know it's just a it's a different different thing when a part of your heart's running around you know running around the couch it's just uh having a kid is a it's a unique thing so i wanted to experience that i don't i feel like it's part of the life experience you know definitely so yeah I one mean, of my it's oldest a, and best friends from school had a little boy 18 months ago and i stayed with him in bristol the night before on the night of the bristol show and just seeing him with his son and how different he is i mean he's oh yeah he's changes, still the same person changes in his heart, you instantly it just seeing the love in his eyes like that's so beyond anything that you can comprehend without being a parent right yeah that's where i'm at with it you know like it's you're not going to have those feelings unless you do that and it's not for everyone or what i understand understand but for me like yeah having a kid it's pretty fucking awesome <laughs> it's pretty cool i have to travel i have to be gone and i'm missing out on stuff but that's sort of part of what i signed up for you know it's like they what they say you sold your soul to rock and roll well, some of that's true you know some some people have that luxury of like a nine to five job and then they get home and they're not thinking about it anymore. Well, it's, I'm not complaining, but yeah, that doesn't really happen in this life. It doesn't matter what time it is. You're still, you know, working on your career life thing. So that's part of it. So you got to be gone, you know. All right, that's it for part one of this week's episode of Life in the Stocks. We'll be back with part two after this.
Did you ever reach a point when, because I guess when you start a band, it's all about the band, the focus is on pushing the band forward, that's it, that's the be all and end all. And then a lot of bands, I think, become successful and become so entrenched in that universe that they go, I need something else to just put some time and you know attention and focus on to give me that escape. Did you ever reach a point where you thought, I have to make time for me in life? And if so, when was that? And what was the thing where you were like, I'm just going to you know, start playing football? Or I got gotcha. you. Know. Yeah, you know, well, you know, this kind of band, you know, five guys, we're like brothers, you know. So it's like sometimes you just need a break from your brothers. So when, yeah. when we're not on tour, you know, we don't hang out a lot, you know, I wouldn't say. And Is that the secret to then when you are on tour, it's just kind of a special fun experience because you haven't overdone it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I just think, I think, yeah, I think we all need our separate moments there and you know, like have our own lives for a minute and do separate things so as far as like hobbies and stuff you know i've always been in the stuff that flies so like i always flown like remote control airplanes and helicopters and now i'm flying the quadcopters you know the drones mm-hmm. yeah and the, yeah the fpv goggles and so i like to tinker and i like stuff that flies it's like toys and that's I, that's how i get away you know you put on the radio and build an airplane and go out to some field and the last thing you're gonna think about is you know playing a show or being in a tour bus or whatever just getting out you know out in some open air and enjoying the sky that's how i like get my escape that's like my shrink you know yeah yeah that's my clears my brain and then uh you know just after a few years there really wanted to keep playing other kinds of music too so start my other band you know try to make write other songs and so doing the rehasher thing for me is like it's like another outlet for some other kind of music you know I, I feel like I could like be in 10 bands if I could multiply myself you know because yeah, I yeah. I have a lot of ideas I have a lot of songs I like playing instruments so that's kind of like a, a good escape though for me you know like to be able to go play another show and it's not in the framework of like what a Lesson Jake show needs to be you know it's uh, just different and that's good it's good to mix it up what about production work do you produce other artists? Yeah, man, absolutely. Um, I've been kind of, uh, I've been kind of like, kind of honing in a little bit, and not just kind of like recording whatever local band. Yeah, I, yeah. I've definitely done that too. You know, you got to like play with your gear and cut your teeth and work on production and stuff like that. But like this year, I've really only done um, those Lesson Jake stuff, and I recorded uh, this band, Masked Intruder. Love and other crimes. Yeah, you smashed I it. That. On yeah. That. I love that band. I know the guys well, and yeah. I love their I love sound. And the first single on it, "Take What I Want," a step up sonically, songwriting. Yeah, I I love that. What band. a great band, yeah. aren't they? They're I've like always... Andy Kaufman with their humor. Like the live show is so confrontational <laughs> yeah, and kind of aggravational. Oh, it's hilarious. The, those guys, <laughs> the creativity on the on like the the shtick and the humor. It's just they're great. Ever since I've met them, I've always got along with them and. I feel like I, I understand what the record is supposed to feel like, you know, and I'm really excited that I got to work with them. And um, also Mike from uh, All American Rejects was there for that, too. So that was cool to have another, you know, musical brain in the room to like bounce stuff off of. And I just felt like, you know, I felt like we got it right. You know, you did. It was you fun. smashed it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Thank you, man. So, yeah, stuff like that, you know, like a band that is a bit more. Uh, developed or you know has a, a real identity musically like I'm into working with that you know I'm, I'll I'll put my time out there for that I'll lose sleep over that but I've kind of like slowed down on like you know smaller bands yeah and, you know things like that but um, yeah there's some things like hopefully 
there's some I, I better not jinx it, but there's some records that hopefully I'll be able to make in the next year here that would be like epic. You know what I okay. mean? And that's I'm gonna kind of continue to kind of like record bands that you know have some shit going on. Well, hopefully, if we do a part two of this, we can find out more about what those projects yeah, might be. I'm into that. Is there anything else left for you in terms of your career that you'd still like to achieve, or do you feel pretty satisfied and content and happy at this stage? Because it's safe to say you can say it with all humility that you've done a lot and achieved a lot in this time. <laughs> you can, <laughs> or I can say it for you at least. You know, well, watch, you. watching just the response to your live shows. You know, still. Yeah, I mean, just to uh, like kind of keep the ball rolling is. Um is sort of weirdly my, my main goal, if that makes any sense, you know? I don't need it to be... I don't need anything to get too different. I'm, I guess I'm not that big on too much change, you know? But um, just to keep this thing going and keep fans um, interested and in writing songs that sort of challenge us a little bit but also stay true to, you know, what we want to sound like as a band and the kind of songs we want to write, just to be able to keep doing it is, like... Feels, dream for everyone feels right? really good yeah it's that's a, the, like i said I think before like that longevity factor is like it's pretty awesome yeah um i don't i don't really foresee you know any bumps in the in the lesson jake road man like we we get along when shit comes up we talk about it um you know try to stay healthy and uh Try to enjoy your time, man. That's about all you can do. Enjoy. How about this one for a question? And I mean it respectfully. Is with energetic live shows like yours, there must come a time at certain points in bands' careers where they go, can we still do this with 100% conviction? The yeah. way we did five, ten years ago. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm there, man. I definitely, you know, my knees, my ankles feel the jumping around. And, you know, I know, like, Buddy's had some knee surgeries. And, you know, we're, we're not the young chipper guys we were but you know i think that energy a lot of that just comes out of your hands and like out of the attitude that you're putting into your instrument and in the sincerity in your voice and stuff like that and that stuff doesn't really go away yeah maybe i'm not going to be jumping off the the uh bass stack like uh like number two from antiflag or anymore i can't you know i'm not gonna be doing that but but i feel like um i can still like deliver like all of me, yeah. All that I've got, you know, like with my voice and my hands, and that's, yeah. I don't, I don't think anybody's going to be taking that away from me. And what about life? What's left for Roger in terms of things that you perhaps haven't yet done, places you haven't yet been? Well, you know, it's weird because we've done a ton of traveling, and and we've been everywhere, right? And that's cool, but there's some of those things that I would like to experience, like with my lady you know yeah. like like it's always funny it's like oh you've been to paris it's like yeah it's like, did you go to eiffel tower it's like yeah well did you climb up there you know like what am i gonna climb up there with like buddy we're gonna <laughs> hold hands when we get there it's just like there's certain things that I'm, for me are like supposed to be like a romantical kind of experience so yeah i, I want to be able to travel you know away from band life and just like kind of as the normal like everyday joe you know i've always kind of enjoyed that you know that'd be cool I mean, I want to um, continue to push the producing thing for sure. I feel like, uh, like those Mass Intruder guys, we you know we spent a few weeks together, and I think they like understand me now, and they know they know where my brain can exist in music, and how far it goes, and how deep I can go. And I I want to be able to share that with other people. You know? yeah. I like hanging out with musicians, and then they they understand that I'm at a level that they're at. You know, so just hopefully making more really good records that would be 
a goal of mine is to make some really good records. And I know that I can. It's just a matter of finding the time and the band and lining it all up like it lined up with those guys. And well, I, if they're looking at doing a full-length album, yeah, you I need think to get back in the I think studio. That's, um, <laughs> I think that's in the works. Nice. Yeah, yeah that'll be good. And, uh, yeah, and just, like, you know, doing solo stuff, man, like the rehasher stuff, just uh, continuing to push my own limits on my lyric writing and my own personal songwriting, you know, where Listen Jake is a five-man machine, you know. Every little piece of thing that you hear has five hands pushing and pulling on it, you know, and uh, creating that, that those ingredients, you know, the soup is all kind of inter- intertwined. And then, But when I do my own stuff, then there's, you know, there's the guys that I play with, but they're just kind of there in a support kind of role, you know. it's I'm making the whole soup by myself, mm-hmm. and that's fun. Yeah, you know, it's fun to be an artist, and it's fun to be a collaborative artist, and it's fun to be a solo artist. So it's all music, and it's all positive. So just continue to do that, man. Yeah. Final question is: Can you ever see there being a Less Than Jake documentary or book or anything like that, chronicling? You know, I read. I recently read the No Effects book. And it's so good, right? It's, it's very good. It's dark. I mean, it's funny. Yeah, it's powerful. You know, we're not going to have you know those kinds of intense stories yeah, in our yeah. book or anything, but. <laughs> But um, I think, you know, like Chris has a really good memory with um, events and dates and people. And I know that if he put it to himself to start writing some stuff down, that there's a lot of stories that uh, <laughs> that would be worth sharing. You know, there's stuff to talk about. So I don't see why not, you know. Um, it seems like that's kind of uh, the way of the world. After you get to a certain point, people want to know more and they want to dig in and they want to know the history and, you know, the fans want to get that behind-the-scenes mm. look and uh, what it's been like and everything. So, yeah, why not? It's because it's life, isn't it? And as you go through life, you realize that people who stay together and continue to work and live and produce together, there's a specialness to that. You know, there's a unique, shifting, ever-evolving profound connection that exists between these people and when you're touring funny shit happens as well absolutely <laughs> it's the interaction with other people and you know the things that we do to amuse ourselves and uh just the the sheer insanity of you know the the people that we've met man like we've met just crazy crazy individuals that are fans and they come out and it's just it's been, it's been a trip of the people that we've kind of accumulated in this big ball as we're rolling around you know it's it's awesome and and you know i have to say like no bullshit like our like hardcore fans are some awesome people man they really are you know we do our hometown shows in gainesville um wake and bake weekend we call it and it's just we play a few shows just in our hometown and people come from all over the place you know all over the world to like be a part of that and there's a whole community with our you know diehard fans and they're they're just awesome people i can't they're smart they're supportive uh, the kind of people that I'm happy to call friends you know it's, that's a really cool thing to uh, look out in the crowd and see people's faces and I know they've been to like 100 shows mm. 200 shows and they're they're there they're there again supporting you know they'll always be there and that's that's, that's crazy man <laughs> that's hard to explain that's a really trippy feeling you know some oh I'm gonna go see them play they were pretty good and that's it that's I can understand that more, but someone that's like, I'm going to every show on the tour and I'm buying every t-shirt and I have the lyrics tattooed on me. And like, that's, that's intense for me because I know what that feels like. And that's, 
Iron Maiden is on a very high pedestal, you know what I mean? <laughs> well, it's been an honor for me to have seen a snapshot of that. Thanks for having me on this tour, and thanks for this chat Absolutely, as well. Absolutely, man. Anytime. And uh, thanks to you for the good questions, and thanks to people for listening. And I've been saying this lately, thanks to anybody that just gives a shit about our band. I mean, it, there's so much out there in the world, so much other stuff to distract you that uh, I'm glad you're taking the time to listen to what we got going on. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.